There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. This is your host, Alden Kodesh of the Fight City. Welcome back, everyone. I am going to be joined by Mr. Michael Carbert, the editor-in-chief of the Fight City. So tomorrow, on exactly uh, tomorrow's Monday and 50 years ago, it was Monday, March 8th, 1971. You know, we had arguably the biggest fight in boxing history, one of the many fights of the century. But, you know, I, I lived through the fight of the millennium, De La Hoya, Trinidad. Uh, another attempt at the fight of the century in Mayweather-Pacquiao. Uh, I, I think this one uh, lived up to its height just a little more than those two. <laughs> <laughs> just a little, eh? Yes. Uh, we are recording this the day before the anniversary, but those of you listening to this on the day of its publication, this is it. 50 years. And I yeah. don't know about you, Alden, but I find it hard to believe. <laughs> that because the point being that the shadow cast by the first Ali Frazier fight is still very much present. In my opinion. Yeah. It is, in me, in my opinion, it is the biggest fight of all time. Um, there's a few that come close. There's a few that are that are in the running, so to speak. But this, and, and as you know, there's been a number of candidates uh, for fight of the century or fight of the millennium. But really, this was it. Yeah, but th this fight was more than just extensive, extreme amount of hype, like was the case with Mayweather-Pacquiao. This fight really stood for something uh, in a, in a way that most, if not None other could even parallel. Yes, it's it's no one can argue that because it's a combination of sporting aspect of it and the greater social and cultural moment that it was part of. Yeah. And in the sporting aspect, it's the fact that two men both are undefeated, both have legitimate claims to to heavyweight, undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Both have a legitimate And it's worth noting that when Ali came back from his exile, he had no tune-up fights. He fought top contenders. Yep. Guys who deserved uh, chances at the title. Yeah, fought guys that just, uh, yeah, he fought guys that just fought for the title and fought at that level. Corey and Bonavena. Exactly. No soft touches. No tune-ups. So you look at Ali's career from when he defeated Sonny Liston right up to that fight, nothing but legitimate contenders, nothing but title fights, essentially. Again, worth noting, the Corey and Bonavina fights were scheduled for 15 rounds. Huh. And then Frazier, Frazier's claim was solid, in part because Ali uh, was gracious enough to officially retire before the Joe Frazier versus Jimmy Ellis fight. And so Frazier had a solid claim to being the new undisputed champ. 
Ali had an obvious claim to being that. Both are undefeated. This is an unprecedented circumstance. And there's also no questioning the skill level, the ability of both fighters. So that's the sporting aspect of it. Then meanwhile, in the background, the only reason this fight is happening is because Ali refused to be drafted into the Vietnam War. So the, so the political backdrop is part of the fight. It's, it's very much present. It's very tangible in terms of circumstances of the event. And so there's, there's the only fight that comes close, and actually it doesn't really come that close, is um, Jack Johnson versus James G. Jeffries. I was going to go as far as, say, maybe Holmes Cooney, but... Uh, Jack Johnson and Jim Jeffries, another fight of the century, one of several, uh, is definitely in terms of political significance uh, on top of the heap. Yeah, and actually, you're right. I mean, Holmes Cooney is a bit, there's a lot of parallels uh, there, interestingly, in terms of, in terms of the, the, the huge problem with the United States of America, which faces yeah. Now, now, this fight is distinct, and uh, but but uh, as compared to those two that we mentioned, because you know this was not a great White Hope situation. Although for Joe Frazier, uh, whether or not he was uh, willing to accept the the call the charge or not, he was fighting for a large portion of White America because of what Ali depicted him as. Yes, absolutely. Ali is uh, for many in White America. Ali is the draft dodger. Ali is the guy who has uh, changed his name and joined this weird cult of the black Muslims. And, and Frazier is the guy who's going to, you know, make things right again. Terribly unfair to Frazier. Frazier gets a raw deal both from that aspect of America, making yeah. him their, their representative, and from Ali, branding him an Uncle Tom. And characterizing him in a way that is that that alienates him from from many black people when it when it was in fact frazier who went out of his way to get ollie or work to get ollie a license and a a way to return to the upper echelon of the sport Absolutely. Uh, as joe frazier himself said yes i was an uncle tom for him i was an uncle tom for for ali when i tried to get him a license uh, so yeah no frazier and, and that's one of the beautiful things about this fight. Frazier is, is in more than one way, treated terribly, treated so unfairly. And yet what happens? He puts on the performance of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was fighting for a, a huge cause that he did ask to fight for. Uh, and he was also fighting for his family's dignity. I could recall an interview with Marvis Frazier where, you know, his peers at school were calling him uh, an uncle tom and ali was going to beat his dad and um you know couldn't imagine what the family was going through as well i think it must have been extremely hard and it was a, and it was very hard for frazier personally because as you noted uh, Fr joe frazier was a source of support for ali during his exile from the ring um and they were, I don't think they were close friends, but they had a relationship. Yeah. And, and in 
Frazier was definitely uh, very surprised and hurt when Ali turned on him and made him kind of the villain, the scapegoat, um, the Uncle Tom. Uh, according to Frazier himself, in the dressing room before the fight, he got down on his knees and he prayed specifically for the power to literally kill Ali. That's how huh. angry and hurt that he was. And I recently read an interview with uh, the late Eddie Futch, uh, Frazier's uh, trainer, genius trainer, who came up with the, the key strategy, the key, the key tactics which defeated Ali. Um, and he, he noted that Frazier, it, it was his personality, it was his character. He was a very, very sensitive man. Huh. And all of the insults, all of the trash talk, it, it cut deep. It cut deep and it, it affected him. Yeah, it definitely brought the best out of Joe Frazier. Uh, and it really brought the best out of Muhammad Ali as well in the sense yeah. that, you know, there there are some that were close to Ali, Ferdy Pacheco mainly, that considered his loss to Frazier a sign that he was no longer the same Ali. But I got to look back and, and challenge that to some extent and say there was no one in phase one of Ali's career that really pushed him the way Joe Frazier did. Really put that kind of pressure and intensity on him. I agree 100%, Alden. And while at this, uh, yes, there, there's, no, there's no question that Ali had lost a step. He wasn't quite the, the, the phenomenon, the incredible ring talent that we saw you know, for example, in his bouts against Ernie Terrell and uh, Zora Foley. He wasn't quite that fast, quite that mobile, but he was still relatively young, still in his physical uh, prime, not at his peak, but in his prime. And the, and the simple fact is no one has, no one can lay claim to having defeated as strong a version of Muhammad Ali as what as as what Joe Frazier uh, defeated that night yeah that, that, that's that's why in my opinion Joe Frazier's victory is one of the all-time greatest in the history of the sport yeah Frazier almost paid uh, paid the ultimate price doing it and there were people after the fight that thought Joe was dead there was a rumor circulating in the week that he was in the hospital that he didn't make it. And Ali remarked after that if that was the case, if that was the truth, he would never fight again. So the, the fight think, almost... Oh, go ahead. Excuse, excuse me, Alden. I, I think though some of those accounts have been exaggerated over the years. I'm not hmm. sure that Frazier actually was clinically close to death. I know that there have been different uh, accounts relaying that. He was. He had uh, medical conditions, uh, most uh, primarily, I think, hypertension, yeah, uh, high blood pressure, um, and and that was a factor in his health. Um, but having said all that, there's no disputing the fact he was in the hospital for almost two weeks, I believe, uh, after the fight. Um, so he definitely needed help. He definitely needed medical help of some kind. Um, and, and yes, I agree with you. Very few, very few fighters have paid such a high price for victory. Yeah. Because 
Frazier had to be at his best, and he was. That that's that's the high point of his career. That's the best performance of of his career. His peak performance was the fight of the century in 1971. Uh, but there were some basic questions of anatomy involved. Frazier was significantly smaller. Yeah, Ali. Um, I would have thought Frazier might have physically been able to endure punches better against the younger Ali, who wasn't, you know, 215 pounds and just so much physically bigger than him. As I, I think you make a good point. I mean, Fra mo a lot of Frazier's weight was in his legs. Yeah. He really, he really wasn't that big a heavyweight. And so, no. yeah, with the, with the lar somewhat larger kind of man strength version of Ali, and it's even more pronounced in the third fight in Manila. Um, you know, Ali really is the bigger man. And Frazier has to take punishment in order to get in there and do what he needs to do. In, the, in that fight in 1971, he's easily taking four or five shots for every shot he lands. In the so, early rounds especially. Yeah. So, so he, took, he took a lot of punishment. He, he paid a, a very, very high price for victory. And and that fight, of course, he was never the same ever after. I mean, that that it took a, uh, an enormous toll. Um, and yes, he did he did have to go to the hospital. But it's worth noting he had planned a, a huge um, uh, celebration victory party uh, yeah. with um, oh. Who's the who's the big band leader? The huge band leader, the famous band leader. The, the he, he had a, he had the top flight orchestra booked. He had he had a, a huge venue booked, and and he showed up to his to his credit. Imagine he went 15 yeah. rounds with Ali. He took all those all those punches, and and he got dressed up, and he went and he showed up, and he boogied a few songs. I don't know. He might have even gotten up and sang a few songs before. <laughs> He ended up going to the hospital. So yeah, no, that's incredible considering the condition he was in. His face was swollen, yeah, uh, her pretty horrendously. And, There's an uh, amazing uh, photograph of him uh, in the dressing room. His face a mass of lumps, and he's putting on his tie and getting getting all you know dressed up, dolled up to go to the the victory party. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ali, uh, really, the only way you could tell he was in this fight was just his uh, swollen right side of his jaw from all those left hooks that he took to the head. But I'd have to imagine that he took some, uh, at least a fractured rib from all those tremendous body shots. And I really think probably the most damning punches, despite the shot that knocked Ali down and hurt him in the 11th round, I think it was the 11th round, uh, were just the body work that Frazier was laying on him throughout the fight. You don't really see that too often in the heavyweight division. When you think of great all-time heavyweights, you don't think of such a great heavyweight body puncher as Joe Frazier, especially at the night of 1971, March 8th. Well, I mean, that, that was that was Joe's, you know, bread and butter. I mean, Joe Frazier is, I always think of Joe Frazier as kind of a heavyweight Henry Armstrong. Yeah. You know, he, he just, he, he comes in, he sticks to you like glue. And he starts off uh, getting those shots into the body before he gets his rhythm, and then he starts to fire that lethal left hook up to the head. Yep. I mean, that's that's you know, there's nothing too complicated about 
about what uh, Joe Frazier is all about. And a lot of it comes down to uh, determination and, and conditioning and, and, of course, you know, motivation, which, as we discussed, was, was certainly not lacking. Um, but, but, you know, it's worth noting, too, that Frazier was no slouch in the defensive department. I mean, no, he, he was making how, Ali missing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's there's a beautiful sequence. I think it's in round six, which which was the round that Ali predicted he would end yeah. the fight. And Ali uh, unleashes a, a a bunch of jabs and straight rights, and Frazier kind of puts his hands down and just <laughs> slips them all. You know, and and. And Eddie Futch um, was instrumental in this. He 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 made a point of trying to teach Joe how to move his head in an off rhythm way, hmm. so that it would be impossible for opponents to time him. So that whole style of bobbing and weaving and continually moving the upper body and moving the head—that's that's Eddie Futch. That's what Futch taught Joe to do. And it's it's an underrated aspect of, of what Joe brought to the ring, but he was not an easy guy to hit. Not at all. His uh, his height made it difficult as well. Just that constant bobbing and weaving, and Ali was three inches taller, but he made it work against him. Uh, Frazier fought a tremendous fight, and as you mentioned, he was never the same again. He gave everything, every last account of himself. And it's really a victory that is almost parallel to Meldrick Taylor's near victory against Julio Cesar Chavez and that you can't imagine a guy who gave more of himself in a winning performance than some of those two Philadelphia fighters. Um, That's a very good point. By the way, it was the Count Basie Orchestra hmm. that Joe Frazier had lined up for his post-fight victory party. <laughs> Can't get higher class than that. Yeah, no, I watching the HBO documentary on it. Uh, you know, just watching how well the men were dressed is what they remarked on. Just going into the ring, it was <laughs> they were remarking that the men were dressed better than the women that night. And obviously, you got Frank Sinatra. You know, his legendary role as a photographer just to get a seat. Everybody had to be seen at Ali Frazier one. Uh, it yeah. was. I guess that atmosphere could only be closely parallel to maybe a Mayweather-Pacquiao, but you know this was of special historical significance in that it was, you know, black versus white America in the form of two black fighters who have overcome inequality in their own way. And I, what I think is especially unfair for Frazier is that you know you could make an argument. Uh, more than just make an argument that it was Frazier who endured more of uh, Jim Crow era than Ali in his upbringing. Oh, by far, by far. Yeah. I mean, Joe, Joe lived the black man's life. Joe, I mean, as he himself put it, you know, I worked the farm, you know, and he did. He, he in South Carolina, before he ended up going to Philadelphia, he, he knew what that whole hard, uh, life, rural life was for the black man who has no opportunity. Um, he, he, he knew all about that firsthand. Ali did not. Ali grew up in a relatively well-off, uh, lower middle class family in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Um, completely different uh, environments, social environments. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, 
there's no doubt that it, it, this just adds to, as you say, the, the unfair uh, uh, treatment that, that Frazier got. Um, but, you know, what I find amazing is that you look, we can talk all day about the, the cultural backdrop for the, for the fight. Uh, Ali refusing to be drafted and being stripped of his title, uh, all the build-up, um, uh, the different storylines of it all, and the fact, as you put it, everybody had to be there. Any, every, anybody who was anybody was at this fight and wanted to be seen at this fight. Isn't it incredible that in addition to all that, the fight itself lived up to the moment? Yeah, more more than lived up to the moment, and I would I would make the case, and I'm I know I'm not going out on a limb or anything by making this statement, but I I would I would make I would say that this has to go down. Ali versus Frazier one is the all-time greatest heavyweight title fight. Mm. I know people that would one up you and say it's the all-time greatest fight of all time. Well, there you go. I don't know. I mean that 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 for me is a that's a that's a a leap I'm not quite willing to make, but you know I mean there's some great great fights in the history of the heavyweight championship to take into consideration. I mean Joe Lewis versus Billy Kahn, the first fight. Uh, yeah. Rocky Marciano versus Jersey Joe Walcott, their first fight. Uh, Jack Dempsey versus uh, Furpo. Um, <laughs> How about Larry Holmes versus Ken Norton? Absolutely. Or more recently, uh, Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko. I think you're forgetting uh, or, Bo versus Holyfield. <laughs> yeah, or a fight that I know is close to your heart, Lennox Lewis versus Vitaly Klitschko. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's no shortage of great, great fights in the history of the heavyweight championship. But I think that you can make the case that at the very top, in, in terms of the buildup, the, the anticipation, uh, the, the, the interest from all corners of the globe, um, the, the backstories of the fighters, and then the fight itself, which was dramatic, close, competitive, from, from the first round to the last. And then there's something satisfying about that knockdown in the 15th yeah. round, Frazier landing that perfect left hook in round 15 to kind of seal the win. Uh, there's something there's something satisfying and 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 uh, aesthetically fitting about that, and I think if you take it all into consideration, I think it's the I think it's the all-time greatest heavyweight title fight. Uh, all-time greatest over Ali Frazier three, which is uh, many others' opinion that that is one of the greatest fights, if not the greatest fight of all time. Well, it's it's. I would argue that's the all-time greatest heavyweight slugfest. Yeah. Where two men just went to war um, and brutalized each other. Um, and, and Ali somehow found a way to keep going. And he outlasted uh, yeah. Frazier. I mean, but the, but the first fight has a little more, there's a little more ebb and flow to it. There's a little more drama to it. Um, Both men were... Uh, well, both men were less of themselves in the third fight. I think that goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's arguable. I mean, for Frazier, it's obvious. But how much less of Ali 
than he was in his former self uh, because of the first fight. Um, how much did it take out of him, the first fight with Joe Frazier? I mean, some of his most legendary victories took place after, namely George Foreman. But, you know, he definitely took a lot of trauma in the first fight as well. Oh, no question. Ali himself credited his exile, you know, that long layoff with prolonging his career, allowing him to keep competing at the top level as long as he did. I don't know if, if that's true or not, but, um, and, you know, uh, another uh, school of thought is that smaller guys like Frazier who have to work harder don't last as long. Yeah. Their, their, their prime is going to be shorter. Yeah. I mean, Larry Merchant said as much when he was talking about Mike Tyson's career after he was knocked out by Lennox Lewis, comparing him to guys like Joe Frazier and, and Jack Dempsey. Just the lack of longevity is more likely for guys who are just not as big and fight in that manner. So I, I think that, I think there's something to that. Um, and, and there's no question that in the third fight in Manila, I mean, part of what Ali was thinking was that he had a natural advantage. He was the bigger man. And you can see, you know, he actually came out in the early rounds of that third fight in Manila hoping to kind of do a foreman, you know, yeah. if I can put it that way, on, on, on Frazier and get the early knockout. Eh, didn't work out so well. <laughs> Yeah, there was something keeping Frazier up in, in all three of those fights, really, that was uh, something I think was unique to the fact that he was facing Muhammad Ali and carried so much hatred, uh, because I think Ali hit him harder than Oscar Bonavena ever hit him, and you yeah. know maybe close to on par with what Foreman dished out, although Foreman was a very different type of puncher, a very different type of fighter. The Ali was just, it was just like the first fight, it was just the whipping shots over and over. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and as Angelo Dundee liked to say, you know, nobody gives Ali credit for his punching power, but when he when he puts his weight down and and really lets it go, he, he can he can punch. He's got serious yeah. power. I mean, Ali was a big heavyweight for his time. Yeah. Which, which is easy to forget now when, you know, your average heavyweight is what, two hundred and sixty five pounds or yeah, I don't know what it is, but you're but not a heavyweight. That, well, you're not a heavyweight unless you're at least six four, two hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts, but but you know, Ali was a, a for his time, he was a big guy. He was six foot three, and uh, you know, by the time of the first Frazier fight, he was what around two fourteen, two fifteen, something like that. Yep. Um, you know, that's a big heavyweight at, for that at you know, for that era of the heavyweight division. Um, I mean, good God, what would Joe Frazier do these days? <laughs> he would fight at cruiserweight or, or dare I he, say it, bridgerweight? <laughs> yeah, the bridge, uh, the bridgerweight division. Uh, the the uh, extortion, <laughs> the extortion weight, WBC division. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there was something symbolic in the third fight when, you know, after wait, the f second fight was 12 rounds, the first fight obviously 15 rounds, late in the 14th round, it's the first time it felt like Frazier backed up uh, just because he he could not keep pressing forward. I, I, 
it's very rare in those in that trilogy that anything ever kind of forced Frazier to lose his will and, and take a backward step. And I think that's exactly what Eddie Futch saw that prompted him to make the fatal decision to not send his fighter out for the 15th round. Just finally yeah. taking that backward step. Well, the, the, the bottom line was Frazier couldn't see. Yeah. And, and his eyes were all swollen. Ali, you know, you look at the two fighters' faces, some people, they have a tendency to swell up, and some don't. Yeah. Ali, you don't see the damage as much visibly on the face. With Frazier, you do. And so Frazier was all swollen up. His eyes were swollen up, his brow and everything. And he, in order to see, he had to come up out of his crouch. Yep. And, and by doing so, he's, he's more vulnerable. He's an yeah. easier target. So that's what Futch saw. Futch saw that he couldn't see without pulling his head up, which means he's more vulnerable. And and the other thing that has to be remembered, I mean, the, on the website right now is my review of HBO's documentary, The Thriller, Thriller in Manila, which is, uh, how should I put it? It's a very distorted look at that fight. And it tries to do justice to Joe Frazier, but I think actually it does the opposite. Mm. Um, but it's, it, it's propagating that, that idea that at the end of the 14th round, Ali wanted to quit. You know, And that if Futch had let the fight continue, Joe might have won because Ali would have surrendered, which I think is complete nonsense yeah i agree with you <laughs> uh, but but the idea being that you know there were there were eddie futch knew that his fighter couldn't win and and, and frazier was behind on points that's the thing that a lot of people forget ali was well ahead on points he'd yep. come back in rounds 11 12 13 in the, in the late rounds, regained control of the fight, was ahead on points. There was absolutely no reason to let the fight go on and I have mean, Frazier your punishment he, for him. He was going to be a punching bag in the last round. I, I could see I could see the last round. You could see the last 20 seconds of the 14th round. And Frazier was just going to be an absolute punching bag in there. Absolutely. And there's, there's an, an, and if you if you'll let me hold in, there's another myth that needs to be uh, derailed here, that needs to be uh, put, put, put in its place. Uh, this idea that Frazier resented what Eddie Futch did in Manila, huh. and as a result, their relationship deteriorated. That is completely untrue. Joe Frazier never uh, objected to what Eddie Futch did. He respected the decision he made. He recognized, you know, his, his trainer did what he thought he had to do. And their relationship did deteriorate, but that was later. And it had nothing to do with Muhammad Ali. It had more to do with the fact that when Joe Frazier tried to make a comeback, huh. Eddie Futch wanted nothing to do with it. And he told Joe, no, you, you should not come back. You know, you, you're done. You're finished. 
Naturally, Joe didn't like hearing that. that. That's where their relationship fell apart. It had nothing to do with Manila. I resent these bullshit stories that get created to, to put forth a, you know, some sort of agenda about what really happened in Manila or what really happened between Ali and Frazier. Half the time, it's, it's, not, it's not based on anything factual. Yeah, I think Eddie Futch, uh, he has done something similar with Riddick Bowe and just not wanting any part of Riddick Bowe's career after he knew he was going on far than he should have. I know he wasn't working the corner for Bowe's second fight against Galata, which probably shouldn't have even happened given the state of Bowe's mental condition and Absolutely. physical deterioration at that point. It was just Thel Torrance in the corner. Not even sure if he was in the corner for the first fight against Bo, although he might have. But the first fight against Galata? Ex- yeah, excuse me, Galata. Yeah. Yes, he was, and that was it. After yeah. after that fight, Futch, Futch walked away, and because he already had misgivings about you know, Bo's lack of commitment, uh, yeah. lack of discipline, and after that fight, he's, yep, he, he was finished. Yeah, but in the case of Joe Frazier. You know, Frazier was just as Meldrick Taylor was, as anyone could say, you know, too much of a Philadelphia fighter. He was going to keep pressing forward and he was going to get himself hurt. So I think he walked away at the right time. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the end for Joe Frazier probably was uh, before even the third fight with Muhammad Ali. I think that was more of a foregone conclusion, which kind of goes towards how great and how committed a fighter Frazier was that he was able to put forth such an effort after, you know, being well past his prime, knocked out by Foreman, beating the second fight by Ali, coming off a couple victories, but, you know, definitely not in the best condition to, to challenge and fight at that level. But the two brought the best out of each other. So Absolutely. It's the all-time greatest rivalry in the history of boxing. For primarily for the for the significance and the, and and the, the impact that the fights had on the larger culture. Yeah. And I, I doubt that there will ever be a rivalry to to eclipse it. Yeah, I don't think so. I I think the social overlap and uh, excitement that it generated in the ring each and every time they fought, especially in the first and third fights. Um, you know, it's just it. I can't. I can't see it being eclipsed. I can't see uh, boxing uh, producing such a classic rivalry. Although, you know, we have plenty of great fights. We have a recent resurgence in the heavyweight division. But let's get real. <laughs> Ali <laughs> Frazier was something else. Yeah, let's get real. I think Deontay Wilder is still a top five heavyweight. So yeah. Let's... <laughs> yeah. So tomorrow on a Monday night, just as it was 50 years ago, it will be the remembrance 50-year anniversary of Ali Frazier 1, one of the most legendary fights of all time. Um, Time waits for no one, Alden. No, it doesn't. Um, But yeah, 50 years ago. Soon we'll have Arthur Mercanti Jr. on the show coming up next, and he'll he'll explain his, his recollections as... A 12-year-old whose dad got a call at 5.30 in the afternoon and and, uh, found out he was refereeing the fight of the century that very day. 
Protect yourself at all times. Any questions in the challenge? So now we have Mr. Arthur Mercanti, son of Arthur Mercanti Sr., the referee of the fight of the century 50 years ago, March 8, 1971. How are you doing today, Arthur? Good. Thank you, Alvin. Yourself? Doing just fine. Um, so take us back 50 years ago. I, I think that makes you about 12 years old. Uh, tell us about what it was like when your dad comes home uh, and says, hey, I'm going to be the referee for the biggest fight of all time. Well, you're good. You did your homework. Yeah, I was 12 years old, and my father at the time when he came home from work, he didn't know he was there. He said, I got a report to Madison Square Garden uh, at 5.30 that night. He didn't know he was doing the fight until he got there. They weren't assigned. The referees weren't assigned until he got there that night in the arena. Hmm. So the the night of the fight, the the Monday night, he didn't he didn't know. No, he did not know. He he, he went in he went in the his normal routine when he was refereeing a fight. He'd go to a club called the New York Athletic Club. Hmm. He's on 58th in Central Park South to take a steam and a sauna and relax, and then head downtown to uh, Madison Square Garden because the club was on 58th and the garden was on 34th. He'd head down to the, the garden, and then that's when he got told that night that he was doing the big fight. <laughs> so uh, I, I I saw in, in an interview uh, a little while back uh, that your father said that he would have actually done the fight for free. He made $750, but it was just such a privilege to be able to do that fight that he would have done anything. Um, how many other referees was he competing against to get this assignment? I, if, I'm, if I recall, I stand to be correct, I think there was four other referees that were at the uh, – because they had an undercard fight before the main event, and uh, I think there may have been four other referees there that night. Mm. Yeah, and it certainly wasn't an easy fight to officiate. Watching, watching back, uh, you know, there was a lot of holding from Ali, a lot of a lot of rough infighting, a lot of a lot of bad blood as well between the two fighters. Obviously, uh, what is your recollection of the fight? Did you watch on closed circuit? Did you watch? Um, um, how, how did you see the fight? Well, I have three other brothers. We all stayed home. I wanted to go to the fight, but back then, 12 years old, they didn't allow children into the arena. I wanted to go. None of us, none of us could go, so we stayed home with my mother, and we listened to it on the radio. Uh, uh. But last last night, they replayed it again. I, I could watch that fight a thousand times. It was, it, was, it was a great fight, like you said. Ali was holding it. My father really he worked hard that night. He, 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 he earned that. That's seven hundred fifty dollars <laughs> that night, you know. <laughs> well, he had the best seat in the house, so that's oh, yes, uh, that's definitely priceless. Yes, he did. Yeah, um, yeah. Ali, a lot of holding. Um, what was the atmosphere like living through that, going into it, given the fact that it really, to, to most people, to the whole world, is really more than a boxing match. It was really just a a crossroads, a a huge moniker event in society. Uh, it was it was unbelievable because you know uh, Ali was uh, away in jail for a while and they released him so he could do this fight uh, and it, it was it was a historical moment nobody you know it's like when uh, when nine eleven happened you could re- recollect where you were that day yeah you know not, March eight nineteen seventy one you could recall where you were like myself like you asked a great question where they watch the fight where I listen to it on the radio. Everybody knows 
where they watched or where they were for the night of that fight. Yeah. You had, you had some of the greatest celebrities there. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, Frank Sinatra was the pointed photographer for Life Magazine. <laughs> yep, that's you true. He wasn't an actual photographer, but he wanted to be at that fight so badly that he was willing to do just about anything. And let me tell you, he took some great shots. Matter of fact, I, I, you know, I collect memorabilia, boxing memorabilia mostly, and I got some of the beautiful shots that he took that night. Hmm. Yeah, you do have quite a few uh, good memorabilia from that fight. Um, so. When, when your dad came home, what was uh, what was his first impression? Was he just shaken up? Was he at a loss for words uh, after he officiated the fight of the century? Uh, you know, we, when he we didn't see him till the next morning because it was, it was late at night and all, and uh, we didn't see him till the next morning. And uh, you know, I, I always asked him how was it, what was it like being in there. He said it was just a tremendous feeling looking outside the ring and seeing all the celebrities there and every. You know, you got 20,000 people looking at you watching. Besides the fighters, they're looking at you to make sure you do the right call. Make, you know, he he, uh, he had a lot of nice things to say about the night of that fight. Yeah. No, I, I would, I could, I could imagine. Um, no, the fight was unbelievable that uh, if they would have done the fight today, imagine how many pay-per-views they would have been able to sell. Oh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. think about the records. It would have been off the if it would have been off the charts if it would pay 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 per view now for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think I would credit your dad to some extent to uh, making the fight cleaner than than it could have been with all the holding Ali was doing and all the roughhouse tactics. Uh, that yeah, fight was, could have gotten pretty ugly. It was like at one than Ali's tactics. It was like at one point where Ali said, "My father gave me told the story," and, and Joe Frazier tells it later on where. Ali said to him, you're in here with God. And Frazier turned to him and said, well, I guess I'm God then. And, you know, that, that was my father. If you saw him one round, he went in and made the hand gesture to stop talking. Because Ali, they were talking, Ali was talking a lot of trash and everything. So, you know, some, some of the things he had to say, my, my, you know, that was one of the stories that stood out. And then if you recall, uh, in, the tenth, in the tenth round, you know, Joe Frazier was a guy who kept bobbing and weaving, bobbing and weaving. My father went in to break him, and Joe bobbed so low that he caught my father's ring finger. <laughs> my, father wasn't, my father wasn't wearing a ring. Mm. He poked him in the eye, and Joe walked away. If you look closely, Joe walked away like Eddie Futch, and my father said he said something like, I'm fighting two guys in here, Ollie and the referee. And, he, and my father said, Joe, my father said, Joe, turn around, and he turned around, and the fight continued on. Yeah, I, I I recall that there was one instance where uh, Don Dunphy asked your father what was going on because Frazier stopped fighting and looked at his at his trainer, and uh, it looked like something got in his eye or something, and it was unclear what happened. Yeah, my father accidentally, you know, like I said, Joe was bobbing and weaving, went so low, my father went to raise his hands up to separate them, you know, like he always did, push them far apart, and Joe bobbed down as my father's hand was coming up and he caught his finger. <laughs> so, um, your father, in addition to being the referee, he was also one of the judges, if I'm not mistaken, for that fight. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just, back those days, there was only two judges and a referee for the fight. Yeah. Not, um, you know, Holly uh, clearly won the fight, but being a referee for a pretty rough house fight where a lot of emotion going on and judging, that, that couldn't have been an easy assignment. 
Yeah. Well, my father, you know, that wasn't the only time. All the fights, he, you know, he always he he always judged the fight, and he had it. I thought, you know, eight six. I thought that was very a, a good a good scorecard there. And the other fellow, yeah. what was it, nine? Yeah, I think nine, nine, six, maybe. Uh, I think the the worst. Uh, the, excuse me, the most one sided was eleven four. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. But, yeah. No, but definitely a fair scorecard, and um, you know, they don't make them like they used to. The referees don't judge fights anymore. No, you know, it's like uh, I don't know if you recall, Al, in the uh, March thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine, I did Lemmy Lewis and Evander Holyfield. Yep. And I don't know if you recall, the decision was a draw. Yeah, it was horrendous. I, w- I wish you were one of the judges for that fight. <laughs> you would have scored it fairly. Well, here's what happened. Uh, they had a big hearing and everything, and they called me up to the stand, and I said, listen, all you people know I'm second generation. My father judged some of the greatest fights ever. If you want to get it back to where it used to be, okay, you have the three judges. Let the referees score the fight, and something comes down to this where it's a draw or something. Let's see how the, ref, the referee could be the deciding factor. And they yeah. all said, well, great idea, great proposal, but it never it fell on deaf ears. They, yeah. they, they feel the referee has a lot more to do today, you know, you know, going to the corners, checking on the fighters, picking up the scorecards and everything, you know. But, I mean, it, it, it would be a good, idea, a good idea to have the ref just score. You don't have to use, you don't have to use his card, but see how he has it maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's the best seat in the house and closer to the action than anything. Uh, you said your dad recalled some of the trash talk going on between Ali and Frazier. Uh, I know that's the classic line that Ali said, I'm God, and then Frazier said, well, God's going to get whooped tonight or something to that extent. Were there any other lines that, that people don't recall as much that your dad overheard between the two? Uh, not necessarily that I recall. No, that was the basic one that, that stood out to me with, with, with the God and all that, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it must have been, uh, uh, must have been quite a spectacle for, yeah. for your dad to to be in the ring with uh, definitely one of the great events in, in modern boxing history, if not the most memorable. Uh, thanks so much, Arthur, for filling us in and all the details that uh, a lot of people may or may not are, may or may not have, uh, you know, father of the legend who officiated one of the great fights of all time. So thanks so much, Arthur. Hope you have a great day. Thank you, and you stay safe, my friend.